I haven't even said anything. So. I was going to say, that must be for John Brave for all that clapping. Good. Um, don't know what to do with that, but thank you for, for having me here today. This is Bible Monday. Not an anticlimactic chapel after fusion, right? Yes, amen. But a time to open God's word as we've been doing the book of John and to see what God has for us. We will be looking at John chapter 20. And as you have your Bibles or, heaven forbid, your phones and look up chapter 20, we won't be doing the whole thing, but I will be going through several verses. As we go there, I wonder if you've noticed how sometimes, in, in English at least, we use one word to mean the same thing. Or actually, we use the same word to mean very many different things, if I can get my thoughts here. Let me give you an example. The word, the word love. I can say, I love a good workout, as you can clearly see. Um, and I love my wife, Christy. It's the, okay. It's the same word. But clearly, I don't love Christy in the same way that I love a good workout, right? Um, believe it or not, I love my students. And Some of you are just sitting there like, no, he doesn't. Yeah. And I love deep dish pizza. But, but I don't love deep dish pizza the same way I love you, right? That would be weird. So we use the same word to oftentimes mean radically different things. And I've been thinking as I was looking at John chapter 20, we can say the same thing about the word believe. Believe is everywhere in the gospel of John. In fact, he uses that term 98 times throughout his gospel, more than any other New Testament writer, period. Um, the thing is, though, we use the word belief also to mean lots of different things. So I can say things like, I believe in God. And... I believe in myself. Do I believe in myself the way I believe in God and vice versa? I believe that one plus one equals two, and I believe my mother loves me. But not exactly the same thing, right? Um, what exactly does it mean then to believe? John's main theme throughout the entire gospel, and particularly here in John chapter 20, is this. You ready for something mind-blowing? Believe in Jesus. John's challenge to us is to believe in Jesus. The problem is, what exactly does it mean to believe in Jesus? We have lots of different people who believe lots of different things about Jesus, all claiming to, in some way or another, believe in Jesus. But if you have 20 people in one room and you ask them, what does it mean for you to believe in Jesus, you might get 21 different responses. Thankfully, though, John helps us here in chapter 20, giving us an understanding of what it really means to believe in Jesus. And friends, I hope that you take this with you today because I believe this message is for us. In order to do so, I want to look at three things from John chapter 20. Three, three points that I want you to help me understand and I want to help you understand. Number one, it matters what we believe about Jesus. Number two, it matters how we believe about Jesus. And then number three, it matters why we believe in Jesus. Those three things we're going to go over in the time that I have. 22 minutes, 21 minutes and 58 seconds. Are we ready? You guys ready up here? 
You guys ready in the cave back there? All, everyone paying attention and engaged, not messing with your phones? Everybody in the sections over here, we ready? All right, good. <clears throat> it matters what we believe about Jesus. I was thinking about this, verses one through 10. We're not gonna read all of them, but this is about the resurrection. Jesus has risen from the dead, but instead of immediately appearing to his disciples, they find out that he's no longer in the tomb by going to the tomb and seeing that he's no longer in the tomb. Mary goes first and she sees the tomb rolled away. She doesn't go in and sees anything. She just runs back to John and Peter and says, they've taken away Jesus' body and we don't know where they've laid him. Thinking that grave robbers have come in and taken his body or something to that effect, John and Peter then were told, run to the, to the grave John outruns Peter, gets there first, and just sort of stands there by the mouth of the grave. The stones rolled away, he just, he doesn't know what to do. Peter, brash as he is, goes straight into the thing, sees the grave clothes lying there, and then John, I guess, gets up the courage to go into a tomb, seeing that Peter has. It says, he saw the grave clothes lying there and the face cloth folded in, in place. And then in verse 8 it says this, the other disciple, that's him referring to himself, who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. Then verse nine, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. What exactly did John and maybe by extension Peter believe when they went into the empty tomb, saw that Jesus wasn't there and believed? Um, no one really knows for sure. If you look at different commentaries on scripture, you'll get different answers. Now, some believe that John and Peter believed that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead, seeing his grave clothes there, thinking, well, maybe he wasn't just, you know, taken out because they would have, robbers would have taken the clothes too, so maybe he did believe. But the problem is, the next verse tells us they did not understand from the scriptures that he had to rise from the dead. So, if they had some notion of resurrection, it was an uninformed belief. It was a belief without real understanding. Others believe that perhaps they assumed that God, because of who Jesus was, had just miraculously translated Jesus out of the tomb and up into heaven somewhere so that he didn't really rise from the dead, but he wasn't in the tomb anymore. Others, like St. Augustine, believed that John and Peter didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, didn't believe that God had translated him up into heaven, but simply believed what Mary had said originally. They've taken the Lord and we don't know where they've put him. They were operating on a wrong assumption about Jesus, saw that the tomb was empty, and may have simply believed that, yeah, Mary was right, he's not here anymore, and we don't know where he is. Whatever the real answer is there, Here's something that I noticed reading this passage. Both of those guys encountered the empty tomb on Easter Sunday and went home unchanged. It says they just went home. If you read further, it says Mary continued to stand outside the tomb crying. I mean, at least console Mary, but no, they just, they just went home. There was no new trajectory in their lives. Having encountered the empty tomb of Jesus, their master, who had been dead for three days, nothing seems to have changed. In fact, verse 19 tells us they just went home and locked the door behind them and sat around with the disciples for fear of the Jews. There's no indication that they shared what could have been a hopeful message with anybody. There was no new excitement. 
The needle hadn't moved in their lives. In other words, they saw the empty tomb and the status quo remained. Nothing had changed. And I think it's because this. Whatever they believed about the empty tomb, it was at best an incomplete belief and at worst, a totally wrong belief. The point is this, you guys, that I'm trying to draw here. Any claim that you may have to believe in Jesus that doesn't lead to real transformation isn't really believing in Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about your life having to be perfect and you not struggling. I mean, everything going wonderfully every day. No, that's not what the Christian life's about. We know that Christian life is fraught with struggles and perils and difficulties and temptations, but I just want to lay it out there for you, okay? If you say you believe in Jesus, but your life has never taken a decisive turn from the way you used to be, then you either believe in the wrong Jesus or your faith is impersonal and empty and incomplete. Saying that we believe in Jesus that doesn't lead to change is a defective belief. And I wonder if I'm speaking to some of you here today. I understand something about the student composition here. I went to two Christian schools, kind of like this, before I graduated. I taught at another school, kind of like this before, and I came here, and I understand that at a Christian school, you know, we all kind of have this mold maybe that we try to live up to, being spiritual or whatever else. And I think there's a lot of people on our campus who wouldn't deny that Jesus existed or wouldn't deny that they have no faith, but it's not transformative. Real belief in Jesus means he changes our lives. What exactly then is real belief in Jesus? What's the kind of transformative faith we have that we know that this belief in Jesus is the real thing and not just a fabrication, not just pretending, not just going through the motions to fit the I woo mold? How do I know my faith is genuine? Well, thankfully, John helps us here. Look at verse 31. Actually, verse 30 and 31. This is at the very end of the, uh, the, the, the chapter where Jesus had appeared to his disciples, and it says this. This is really the purpose for John writing this gospel. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe. What? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There's really then two things that John gives us. You don't have to have this long list of things that you can check off saying, yes, I believe this, yes, I believe this, I totally understand that, of course I understand that, I have a, I have a theological understanding of this. No, it's this. Believing that Jesus Christ, well, that Jesus is one, Christ. You guys know what the word Christ means? Jesus Christ, uh, is, Christ is not his last name, right? Like John Smith. Some people think that, no, it's not, Okay. Christ is the word for anointed. So to believe that Jesus is the Christ means that he is the unique one that God sent for the specific purpose of reconciling us back to God. And that without his unique role as Christ and Messiah, I have no bridge back to God at all. And if it weren't for Christ, I would be cut off from life completely without any hope in the world. 
But because Jesus is Christ, it means that he came and took on my human nature, reconciling it in himself with the divine nature so that I can have a new pathway to life, to relationship with God, died and rose again in order to, again, bring me into newness. So I believe then that I can't somehow make my life more godly or get better on my own, but to believe in Jesus means that I believe that he is the only way in which anything will change. I can reform myself all I want, but I can't transform myself at all unless Jesus Christ comes and does the work. And he does that as the Christ. But the second thing John tells us that we need to believe is not just that he's the Christ, but he's the Son of God. Meaning that he's not just some guy, some miracle worker, or some prophet who liked to tell a lot of really cool stories and parables. He's not just some example for us to follow in order to be more compassionate or help people. Of course he's those things. But he's not just a good man. He's God. He's just as divine as the Father is divine. There is no difference in his deity and in his power and his sovereignty than that of the Father himself. It means then, you guys, that when Jesus Christ came to reconcile us to God, he's able to do so because he is God himself in the flesh. And I can believe on him to accomplish what he said he was going to accomplish. He's not weak like we are. I mean, he shared our weaknesses in his humanity. But Jesus is able, as the Son of God, to bring us into relationship with himself, conquer our sin conquer our death because of who he is yes he shared in our death but it didn't hold him down he broke its chains so that we may have new life in his name one more thing too about belief and then i've got to move on here because my time is quickly slipping um it flies when you're having fun doesn't it um the idea of belief in the bible is not just an intellectual assent a belief that something exists. There are a lot of people who can probably intellectually reason their way into saying, yeah, I believe Jesus is Christ, I believe he's the son of God, but never really being in right relationship with him because faith, belief, is not just about, again, a checklist of things I'm supposed to know. The idea of faith in the New Testament is one of personal and complete trust. So look at this stool right here. If I just walk past it and see it, I might say, I believe that the stool exists. It'd be silly not to say that. But I don't really believe in the stool until I do what? Until I sit on it. Right now, I believe that the stool. Now, didn't break. I believe in the stool. You can see the difference here. I don't even have to really think about it. And when you sat in your chairs, you didn't really think about the chair holding you up. You believed that the chair existed, but until you sat in it, you really didn't believe in the chair. And I wonder how many of you today can say that you believe in Jesus, you may believe all the facts about him, you believe that he was real, that he died, that the tomb was empty because he rose, but have you ever really put your confidence, your trust, Have you ever really given your whole person to him before? Recognizing that you yourself don't have all the answers to the way life should be lived and that you aren't by yourself the answer to your problems, but that Jesus Christ loves you and he wants to bring change to your life and to be Lord of your life and be the new master in town because he knows what's best for you. Have you ever given yourself completely and wholly 
to him this way. Second thing that we see here, it matters what we believe about Jesus, but also matters how we believe in Jesus. So I gotta move quickly, but in verses 24 through 29, we get, of course, get the story of Thomas. Thomas is oftentimes known to us as doubting Thomas, right? Thomas's problem, though, I don't really think is about so much doubting. Um, if you're a Christian, you know you love God and you've given your heart to him, how many of you have ever had legitimate questions or doubts in your Christian life before? Okay, and if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying, okay? No, you can have a strong and powerful faith, but there are times when it's, it's difficult. I think of, I didn't write the reference here, and I should have, but I was thinking about the man who brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus' disciples. They weren't able to cast out the demon. Um, Jesus comes and does it, and he says, um, you know, the, the father says, if you can, please have compassion and help us. And Jesus says, if, if, if I can, anything's possible to those who believe. And the man, I love the man's response. He says, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Right? He believed. But there was part of him that had legitimate questions and struggled. Thomas's problem really isn't doubting. It's his stubborn attitude. It's kind of a skeptical heart. Notice that the ten people in the room... After Jesus had showed up to them the first time, Thomas wasn't there. They all saw the Lord. They, they were glad. They rejoiced. Jesus leaves. We don't know where. Thomas comes, and all of the ten people that he had spent his time with for three years, sharing life and loving and trusting in, said, you'll never believe this, but we saw the Lord. Yes, I know he was dead, but he's alive now. He, he was just in this room. And what did Thomas say? Unless I put my hand in his side and put my fingers in his hands where the nails were, I will not believe. One of the evidences of a skeptical heart is when we make ourselves the standard for what's believable. Thomas made himself the standard for what was believable and he even gave some conditions for it. Now, I don't want to bore you with linguistics, of course, unless you love language, linguistics. In the Greek... Thomas uses a double negative. Now, you're not supposed to use double negatives in English, right? Like, Tina don't, doesn't have no sense. Or, no, I mean, C-E-N-T-S, like money, right? Um, uh, I'm not going to give any more examples because they're all bad, like double negatives. But you're not supposed to use double negatives. It's bad English. It usually means the opposite of what you intend, right? Um, in the Greek, if you use a double negative, it's emphatic, so when Thomas says, I will not believe, he's just not saying, I'd like to, but, you know, I just really can't see it right now, and if I see it, maybe I will. He says, ume so I will not believe. I will never believe, and you can't make me. <laughs> There's a skepticism there. He becomes a lord unto himself as to what he will allow himself to believe. Kind of reminds me, I don't know if this... I don't know, I was just thinking about this. I used to work with a guy after college when I was doing maintenance, a guy named Rocky who was an atheist. One day he was asking me where I go to church and I told him. And out of being polite, I said something about, oh, do you, do you attend somewhere? He says, I worship at the temple of Rocky. Right? Um, feel bad for Rocky then. But when we think that we know it all and we are the standard for what we'll allow in, what we'll believe, um, it's a form of idolatry. We do worship at the temple of ourselves if we won't take Jesus at his word and have a receptive heart. Jesus says in verse 27, don't be unbelieving but believing. Literally in the Greek, he says, don't be untrustful 
but trustful. Don't be faithless, but faithful. Don't be a gullible person. Paul says to test the spirits. But if we have transformative faith in Jesus, it means that we have a believing heart, that Jesus doesn't have to prove himself to us. We'll believe him because he says so. Finally, it matters why we believe in Jesus. 30 through 31 again. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. One of the reasons why we believe all of these things about Jesus and put our faith in him is because when he rose from the dead, it validated everything else we've been talking about in chapel for this past year concerning the gospel of John. We can believe that Jesus is the Logos, the Word made flesh who made his dwelling among us. We can believe that he was, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the same one who changed the water into wine. He cleansed the temple. He healed diseases, raised the dead, fed multitudes, walked on water, and he calmed the storms. He's the servant who washed the disciples' feet. He's the one who promised the Holy Spirit. He's the giver of living water, and he's the intercessor who before the garden prayed for us. He's the bread of life, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He's the light of the world. He's the true vine. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. He entered our suffering, he wept with us, died for us, rose victoriously, and overcame the world. That's what John wants us to believe. And when I put my trust in Jesus, John says, we have life in his name. When he says we have life in his name, again, he's not talking about um, an intellectual ascent alone, but life in his name suggests a union with Jesus' person. That when Jesus wants to save me, when Jesus wants to change me and walk with me, he's not just wanting to kind of pat me on the head from afar saying, okay, you're good, you're doing fine. It's a divine embrace where Jesus brings me into union with himself and shares who he is, shares his very character with me and by his spirit impresses his character upon my character so that I can actually image him and live differently. Because it's not by my own strength anymore that I'm trying to be a good moral person. It's a new power. It's the power of Christ within. And I'm wondering if that's you today. Have you believed in Jesus? Do you believe he's the Christ, the Son of God? Have you put your trust in him? And do you presently have life in his name? Wherever you are, wherever you are today, whatever you believe, I, I trust there's something here for us from John. And when John says this is written so that you may believe. I, I take that to mean y'all, as my wife would say from down south. Everyone. Okay? It's for all of you. Whether you find yourself sometimes hard and skeptical like Thomas, whether you find your faith maybe malformed and misdirected like the original disciples before they saw Jesus, maybe you're the kind of person who comes to Iwu, you're a good churchy kid and you know all the answers and you raise your hand during the right songs at the right time and but there's no real transformative life and you're trying to put forth an image that isn't real. The message here is for you. Jesus did many things that you may believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. As we sing this closing song, I know we don't have altars here anymore. Those were taken away, but 
if God is speaking to your heart, I want to open this up as a time of invitation. That if your faith isn't real and God is speaking to you, may you make it real so today. Listen to him and believe.